guys are done. Amen. <laughs> cool. Hey, grab a seat. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Anybody glad God is faithful? Amen. 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 It's good to know who goes before us and, and who stands behind. Uh, 1, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, chapter 11 of the story opens up with, with the following words. Uh, the, Lord, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? since I've rejected him as king over Israel. And, and so Samuel, he, he's still kind of bummed out and depressed over Saul, that, that Saul has turned his back on God and that, that God had to tear the kingdom from him. And God says, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And you know what, that, that, that's a good way to get out of our depression, right? Do something new for God. You know, just don't sit there and be bummed out, Samuel. I have something for you to do. Get up and go out and help somebody else. And then the scripture continues. But Samuel said, how can I go if Saul hears about it? He'll kill me. I mean, Saul's still the king. He still has an army. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. By the way, a really good formula, right? God says it, we do it. Works out for the best. God says it, we do it. And the scripture continues. Samuel replied, I think I may have missed something there. Okay. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? And they're like, all right. And we know sometimes when, you, when you're in town, like people die and it, it gets pretty ugly. So are, are you here in peace or, or are you here to bring God's judgment? Samuel replied, yes, in peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We humbly, and really that's the only way we should ever come into your presence, we humbly come into your presence this morning. There's no one like you. Uh, there's no one greater than you. There's no one stronger than you. There's no one more powerful than you. Uh, you, you hold the earth in your hands. Uh, you are faithful. You're true. You're trustworthy. You're great and you're powerful. You spoke and everything came into existence. You always have been, you always will be. You've never made a wrong decision. You've never been overwhelmed. You never faced anything too big for you. You've never made a mistake. You're holy and righteous. All your purposes, nothing can stand in their way. And God, you have a plan today. I mean, you brought us here and uh, to speak to us. And God, I just ask that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see. I ask God that, that, that you would use me and I, and I would say what you want me to say in the, in the way that you want me to say it. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, one of my favorite authors and theologian, theologians, A.W. Tozer, said the following. A Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depend upon, depending upon her concept of God. I insist upon this, and I've said it many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. 
Our religion is little because our God is little. Our religion is ignoble, not honorable in character and person, because the God we serve is ignoble. We do not see God as he is. Uh, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Uh, Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. That question, do you think it could be that simple? Uh, That the problem we have, that the number one challenge we face, that it isn't cultural, that, that it isn't from within, uh, that it's just how we, how you and I, how we perceive God, uh, that it's an unworthy concept that we have of who he is, that it's a lack of understanding of how great and how powerful and how big our God is, and that if we just had a, a different perspective, if we just had a different understanding of God, of who he is, then it would change everything. And you know what? I, I think A.W. Tozer's right. And I think what he said, it's true for the church, and I think it's true for you, and I think it's true for me as Christians. Yes, I concur, and I don't think A.W. was waiting for my concurrence, but, but I concur that our most basic problem is an unworthy concept of God. If you're filling in your notes, you'll notice this question in your notes. It just says, do you agree with Tozer that our concept of God is the important thing about us, and yes or no, and I I circle yes. Now, you may notice there's a a bunch of boxes on the stage, and I think that most of us have had our share of these things in our lives. Anybody out there ever move? Anybody like moving? Just this week, Laura and I were talking about how we have moved a lot in recent years, five times since November of 2005, five times. I think it's because we've been renting. And we're fixing to move again for number six. And, and uh, you see, we want to move closer to the church uh, and just pray we find the right place that's the right fit so we can do ministry for him. And now boxes, that they come in, in various shapes and sizes. And some are small, uh, some are large. And this is a medium box. It's a medium box. And it's my box of preference, you know. It's big enough that you can fit stuff in it uh, but it's also small enough that I can get my arms around it. I, I mean, I, I can manage this box. I, I, I can handle this box. It, it, it's, it, it's our box of, of choice. Now, now when I was a, a rookie mover, I, I would grab the biggest box and start shoving a bunch of stuff in it. I mean, it made sense, right? It was faster, used less boxes. Only problem was it took 12 guys to carry it and it usually busted through the bottom. But eventually, I became a fan of the medium-sized box. I mean, you can fit almost anything in it if you really want to, and it's just easy to handle, and I can manage a medium-sized box. And, and listen, here, here's what I think. I, I think. I think that many of us have put God in a medium-sized box, in a box that's not too big. I mean, it's not so big that we can't handle it. It's not so big that we can't put our arms around it. It's big enough, but it's not too big that we can't manage it. So we put God in the box and we say, okay, God, this is your space. This is where I've designated you to be. God, this is your space. God, this is 
your box. Now, a lot of us were handed a box, uh, maybe from a family member or maybe from a church, and they said to us, here's the box for God. Here's the box for God. Uh, this is the box that God fits in. Yeah, we, we, know, we know how God works. Here it is. Here's God's box, and we just kind of accepted it. We just kind of accepted it. But Maple Grove, I'm hoping that as we studied the story together, that we see that no matter how big the box is that we grab, if we're trying to fit God in it, it's too small. Understand, the creator of the universe cannot fit in a box. No, God, the great I am, the sovereign king, God doesn't do boxes. Get it? Good. However, that doesn't keep us from trying, does it? You see, we want to keep God small enough so that we can manage him, so that we can handle him, so that we can fit him where we want to fit him. Uh, But listen, if our God fits in a box, our God is too small. And and here's why this makes a huge difference. You see, if if we have a small God, a a God that can fit in a box, then we will inevitably live a life where there's a, a lot of fear and anxiety and and there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure because our God really isn't big enough to help us. He's really not big enough to come through for us. And if we live our lives with a God that's small enough to fit in a box, then inevitably we're going to find that life is kind of mundane. It's kind of boring. It's kind of predictable. Uh, Because we don't have a God that's big enough to give us a challenge, that's big enough to call us to risk. Uh, We don't have a God that's big enough uh, to use us to make some kind of significant impact for him. Uh, Understand, if our God is small enough to fit in the box, then challenges are going to feel overwhelming to us. Uh, Situations are going to feel hopeless to us. Uh, Because our, our God really isn't, he's not big enough to fix them, to heal them, to redeem them. Our God really isn't big enough to bring hope into something that seems hopeless. If our God is small enough to fit in a box, then he'll probably be okay with us no matter what we do or don't do. I mean, he's going to see things pretty much the way that we see things. And he will never ask us to put down or to pick up anything that we don't feel like doing. Question, is it possible that you, that we've, that I've put God in a box and we said, God, God, God I, 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 I want you to fit in this space right here. Just right here, no further. And, and, and I hope you like it. And I hope you find it nice in there. And I hope you find it comfortable because I really find it comfortable keeping you in this medium size box. But as we study the story together, I don't know if it's been true for you, but it's been true for me. I've realized that my box for God, that my box for the God who part sees, for the God who created everything by just speaking a word, uh, the God who delivered his people from slavery, uh, the God who brought down the walls of Jericho, the God who, who made the sun stand still. I, I've discovered, you know what, my box for God has been way too small. I mean, as we've read through the story, there's just been one example after another about how big God is. And really, that's what the story's about. It's about the bigness, the greatness, the hugeness, 
the majesty, the awesomeness, and the glory of our God. No one is bigger, no one is greater, nothing and no one compares to our God. It's about how we look at situations and, and we say, well, it's too late. And God's like, no, it's not. In fact, I'm getting ready to do some of my best work. Or how we look at people and we say, you know what? They're just too broken. And God says, watch me. Watch me put their lives back together. Or how we look at a person who seems so insignificant and maybe that person is us. And God says, that's the person I'm going to choose to change everything. Uh, Maple Grove, here, here, here's the bottom line, the middle line, the top line. Now, I, I hope that as we continue the journey into the story, God's story, uh, that we just don't go looking for a, a bigger box for God, but that we just get rid of this idea altogether and don't put God in a box at all. Amen? Amen. I mean, what would happen if our concept of God changed? I, I mean... What could the sovereign king of the universe possibly do in and through us individually and as a church if we began to let God become as big as he really is? I mean, what if as a church we have God in a medium-sized box? A box that's labeled, well, let's have about four to 500 people show up every Sunday and do a few good things. And really, we think that's it. That's our box. I mean, it's pretty good. It's better than most. Statistics say that 85 to 90% of churches are less than 200, right? I mean, so we're pretty good. And, but what if God is like, you know what, Maple Grove? We are just barely getting started around here. But, but, but we can't see it because our God is too small. Christianity at any given time is strong or weak depending upon her concept of God. I insist upon this, and I've said it many times, that the basic trouble with the church today is her unworthy concept of God. Our religion is little because our God is little. Our religion is ignoble because the God we serve is ignoble. We do not see God as he is. Uh, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man, or I might add, of that church. Like I said, we're in chapter 11 of the story um, from shepherd to king and a conversation I'm calling throw away your box. And now in this chapter, we're introduced to David, a guy you probably heard of, and he's a, he's a pretty high-profile guy in Scripture. I mean, there's 60-plus chapters designated to him. He wrote over 70-plus psalms. He's referred to over 50 times in the New Testament. Uh, David was a king, a warrior, a worshiper, an incredible songwriter, a, a great slingshotter. And uh, uh, he, he was a guy that Scripture says chased after God with all his heart. And, and David was most definitely a guy who, who did not try to put God in a box. Understand, David, he, he's a great example of, of what it looks like for you and I to live a boxless life. And this week we're looking at three chapters in his life. The first chapter we're calling God's anointing, he can use anyone. Uh, God can use who? Uh, that's very weak, right? 
God can use who? Anyone. God can use who? Anyone. He can use anyone. He can use anyone. Uh, now, chapter 11, the story opens up. David is about the age of a junior in high school. And, and he's working as a shepherd for his dad, Jesse. And, and being a shepherd, it's not really a good job. It's kind of a low, low, low job. It's like the chore you didn't want to do as a kid. And, and the basic job description for a shepherd was watch sheep. I, I mean, that's what you did. And, and David tried to pass the time like any of us would do in a job like that. And do you know how David passed the time? By singing songs and slinging rocks. You know? I, I wonder if those thing, two things would ever come in handy one day. But little did David know that all that was about to change because the prophet Samuel was coming to his house to anoint the next king. And, and all, uh, now David's seven brothers are all at the house because they're all candidates for the job. Uh, Jesse, their dad, uh, knows Samuel's coming. He says, look at these boys. They're ready to go. I mean, their resumes are ready. They're dressed for the best. They're dressed in their best. Each one is easily a first-round draft pick. And so Samuel gets there, and he looks around, and he meets the first son, Eliab, and he's like, okay, game over. Game over. <laughs> this is it. This is the guy we want. He's number one overall. Hey, God, hey God, are you seeing what I'm saying? Yeah, I think you're seeing what I'm saying. I think you're seeing it, God. And we found them. Surely the Lord's anointed stands before me. I mean, if this is not the guy, then tell me who is. I mean, he's got everything. He's impressive. Everything looks perfect. Send the rest of the applicants back to the field. I found the guy. But what does God say to Samuel? No, he's not the guy. And, you know, I find it interesting because Samuel, I mean, he's seen a lot. He's seen God do some great things. But Samuel still had God in the box. He still had in his mind, here's the type of person that God's going to use. He's still judging based on appearance. And God explains him in verse 7, do not consider his appearance or his height. And this is good news for short, ugly people, right? Hey, we're still in the game, right? I'm only 5'9". Do not consider his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. In other words, Samuel, you're, you're looking at this all wrong. Uh, you're, you're looking at the outward appearance. I, I mean, you're really, really caught up in how this guy looks, that, that first impression moment, but I, I'm looking much deeper. I'm looking in the heart, and I have rejected him. And so Samuel works his way down the line, and then it gets just kind of awkward <laughs> because he goes down through all seven, and like God doesn't pick any of them, and apparently he, he doesn't know there's another son, and so it's just kind of awkward, and he's like, okay, do you have like anything in the back? <laughs> Is there anything like I haven't seen yet? And just say, well, there's one more son, and he's the youngest. And the Hebrew word for youngest here, he doesn't say youngest. What he says literally is, well, he's the runt of the litter. I got one more. He's the runt. He's out there in the field, and you know what? If he ever makes it on the team, it's going to be his undrafted. I mean, no one's going to pick him. Samuel says, go get him. And God calls for him. So David comes up, and in verse 12, God says, rise up and anoint him. He's the one. He's the guy. And on that day, David is known as the next king of Israel. Uh, again, probably a junior in high school. I mean, can you even imagine what it was like in the living room of the family of Jesse that day? I mean, seven brothers, all in press suits with impressive resumes, all lined up ready for the cover of GQ and Sports Illustrated. And David shows up in jeans, T-shirts, and a sandal, smelling a little rough, smelling like sheep. And God says, yep, that's the guy. That's the guy. 
In chapter 1 of David's story, God's anointing, he can use anybody. Uh, this morning, April 7th, 2013, God says, don't put my anointing in a box. Uh, don't put my anointing in a box and tape it shut. Because I- I'm going to use people you don't think I'm going to use. And the person that I'm going to choose is not the person that you would choose. I understand the thought that God would choose David was so outside of Jesse's box that he didn't even have David come to meet Samuel. But God can use anybody. As we study the story together, this has become an emerging theme that would be hard to miss. You know, I really do think we have the tendency to put God's anointing in the box and to think that the creator of the universe really can't use just anybody. Oh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just too old. And God's like, really? Really? You ever heard of Abraham and Sarah? You know, an elderly couple, infertile couple, I chose to build a nation? Or, or we say, you know, I'm just too guilty. My sin is too deep. The stain is too deep. And God says, really? How about David's great-grandmother Rahab? Ever heard of her? She was a prostitute. And yet God changed her life and used him for his glory. And you say, well, I'm, I'm just too scared. I'm too afraid. I, I feel like God's calling me to do something that's bigger than I am. And, and a lot could go wrong. And God says, remember Gideon? He was just hiding in a wine press from his enemies. And I looked at him. I said, you're a mighty warrior. And you say, well, it, okay, it's just too hard, all right? It's just too hard. Given the circumstances of my life and the situation that I'm in, things are much more complicated than they used to be, and it's just too, it's just too hard. There are too many reasons why it won't work. Remember Joseph? Too hard? Went from a pit to a slave to a prison to become vice president of Egypt. I understand, this is the story of the story, that God can use anybody and we'll see in the upcoming chapters, we're going to see God pick a middle school girl by the name of Mary from a small town called Bethlehem. And we're going to see God pick a sinful tax collector that everybody had written off named Matthew. We're going to see that God chose a fisherman with a really hot temper named Peter. We're going to see that God actually chose a man who was murdering Christians to write most of the New Testament. God's anointing. He can use anybody. A guy named Carl Henry wrote the following about the next generation of Christian leaders. I really like it. He says this, many of them are probably still pagans. Who knew that Saul of Tarsus would be the great apostle to the Gentiles? And who knew that God would raise C.S. Lewis or Charles Colson, who were once unbelievers? The next Jonathan Edwards might be the man driving in front of you with a Darwin fish on his bumper. The next Charles Wesley might be a profane, womanizing hip-hop artist right now. The next Billy Graham may be passed out drunk in a fraternity house at the moment. And the next Mother Teresa might be managing an abortion clinic today. And we think, no no way, God couldn't use someone like that. Really? Really? I mean, have we not been paying attention to the story? You think it's too late for you? You think you're too messed up? You think you fell too many times? You think you're too weak, too timid, too afraid, too ungifted? Have you not been paying attention? God uses the people that he wants to use. 
And God doesn't look at the things that we look at. God looks at the heart. And it's not about our ability. It's about our availability. Maple Grove, don't put his anointing in a box and tape it shut. God will use whoever he wants to use. God can use anybody. Yet yet no one thought David would be the guy. Not of his own dad. His own dad had already written him off. He's not going to accomplish anything. You know, he's not going to do anything great with his life. I'm not even going to bother to bring him. But God said, "Uh uh-uh. I see who David really is. He's my choice. And your notes, there's this little question, you know, do you believe that God can use you right now? You know, circle yes, circle no. Uh, the next chapter in, in David's life would probably be called uh, God's power. He can do anything. Uh, now, after David is anointed next king of Israel, uh, what does he do? David, you've just been anointed the next king of Israel. What are you going to do now? I'm going to Disney World. Right, no, you didn't go to Disney World. Okay, didn't go to Disney World. He goes back to tending sheep. He goes back to slinging rocks. He goes back to singing songs. And he gets a part-time gig as a harpist for King Saul. So by the time chapter 17 opens up, David is probably about 18 or 19. He's not 20 yet because he's not old enough to be in the army. And one day, it's that Jesse calls him from the field, says, you know what, David, uh, Israelites are fighting the Philistines. Your, your brothers are out there. I want you to check on them. I know they're probably hungry, so take some pizza and garlic knots with you. And, and David goes out to the battlefield where they're fighting the Philistines, but when he gets there, there there's nobody fighting. And instead, he comes up with the scene, and there's this huge giant who's taunting the armies of God. You see, the Philistine offered this challenge to Israelites. He says, look, here's what we're going to do. You, you, we'll put out our best fighter, Goliath, he would be called a ringer, and you bring out your best, and whoever wins this cage match to the death, the other nation will be their slaves. And so David hears this giant mocking the armies of God. And the Bible says in verse 11 that when Sam and the Israelites heard this, when they heard Goliath, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Yeah, can you say box? But when David hears this challenge, he says, hey, who is this guy? Who, who is this pagan that he's allowed? Who is this guy that he's allowed to mock God? Who is this guy that he's allowed to defy the living God? Who is this giant? Who does he think he is? Somebody needs to shut him up. And so David goes to Saul and he says, oh, Saul, don't worry about this Philistine. I'm going to go fight him. And Saul's like, well, you look kind of familiar are you my harpist? You are. I'm not going to send my harpist out there to, to fight Goliath. And David's like, no, 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 it's all good. I got this. I got this. And Saul says, don't be ridiculous. There's no way you can fight this guy and win. He, he's been a warrior from his youth. You can't do it. And, and David says, I love what he says. Uh, he didn't know what a box was. He said, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with the club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal is stupid enough to turn on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I love it. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. And Saul's like, okay, boy, you got some gumption. You know, some, 
courage, guts, some spunk. I'll give it a shot. Here's my armor. David goes, yeah, you know, it doesn't feel right. And so David goes out to meet Goliath, and you know what he has with him? He has a sling. Yeah, all those years when he was slinging rocks at Coke cans, David thought he was just passing time, didn't realize that the guy was actually preparing him for battle. Look, we never know what God's doing, except that he's always up to something, right? Uh, so David goes out to Goliath, and Goliath, first he's kind of insulted, like, really? You're going to? Come here, little Then the trash, talk, trash talking starts, right? Come here, little boy. Come here, little boy. I'm going to feed your flesh to the birds of the air, the wild animals. And David, like, okay. Okay, so Goliath, is this the part, okay, where I'm supposed to run and scream like a girl? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Because he's not intimidated at all. Okay, I'll go scream now. Is that, is that what I'm supposed to do? I love this. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and everybody assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, and not with sword or spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to me. Now, David did not have God in a box. And, you know, I'm going to cut your head off. And I'm going to feed all the dead bodies of your men to the wild animals in the field. And then David runs to Goliath. And Goliath's like, this has never happened before. Use it to running away from me. He's running to me. David runs, cut, kills him, cuts his head off. Later, he takes that same head in his hand, trucks over to Jerusalem where God's enemies still had God's city. Just want you to know, <laughs> you're next. You're next. I'm coming for you. I'm going to get you. Again, Saul and the army, they're terrified and scared. And here's why. If we put God in the box, if our guide is too small, we'll become consumed with fear because we're always asking the what if question. What if Goliath wins? What if our nation becomes slaves? What if they take our land? Uh, what if the economy doesn't recover? What if it is cancer? Uh, what if I spend the rest of my life alone? What if the next storm hits a little closer to my house? What if, what if, what if? Listen, when our God fits into a box, our life will be dominated by the what if questions. See, David doesn't see the what if of the situation. Instead, he sees the who is of the situation. You know, I think if David sat in and heard the story that we tell in Sunday school about David and Goliath, he would stop us and say, hold on a second, I was there. It, it wasn't David versus Goliath. No, 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 no. It was God versus Goliath. It was the Lord's battle. It, it was the Lord's victory. And to be honest, it really wasn't much of a fight to begin with either. Saul says to David, it, it can't be done. It's ridiculous. And listen, that's what we say when God's in the box. Uh, we can't do it. God can't do that. God can't heal. God can't forgive. God can't use. God can't provide. God can't redeem. God can't restore. God can't overcome. And David says, yeah, maybe your God can't because your God's in the box. But my God can. My God can. And, and I know it's before his time, like a a thousand years for his time, but I tend to think that whenever Paul and, and David get together, that they rock out on Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. 
Uh, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, uh, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's anointing, God can use anybody. God's power, he can do anything. One more chapter, God's timing, anytime. You know, I think one way that you and I tend to put God in a box is in the area of timing. God's timing. Why? Uh, because we want God to fit into our calendar. And we want God to operate by, by our timetable. And, and so this is how it's usually played out. It's like, God, God, I believe in who you are. I, I believe that you have the power to move and do things. And here's how long you got. <laughs> you know? here's, here's your time chart. Here's when it needs to be done by. I mean, think about it. David is anointed king, and then it's another 14 plus years before he puts on the crown. It's a long, long period of waiting. And, and most of that time waiting, he spends on the run, being hunted like a wild animal by King Saul, who, who learned of his anointing, was, uh, was, was jealous of his popularity, and wanted nothing more than to see David dead. But listen, just because it hasn't happened yet... <laughs> doesn't mean it won't happen. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't happen. Get it? For 14 plus years, David is hiding in caves. And yet he's constantly singing of the greatness of God. And Psalm 27, he says this. This is so good. He says, I would have despaired, very huge word coming up, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's like, God, God, if I had you in the box, if I didn't believe you would show up and do something, if I didn't believe you, you were bigger than this box people put you in, I would have despaired of life. And then he challenges us, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. It, it takes courage to wait on God. And, and I know sometimes it doesn't seem like it's a courageous thing to, to wait, but David says, yeah, it is. It's courageous to wait on God. But listen, if our God is in a box, it's pretty hard to wait on him because we think we've got to do something. We have to make it happen. And so David waits on the Lord, and 2 Samuel 5 verse 4 records finally, David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Israel for 40 years, 14 years waiting, 40 years reigning. So, so just let me ask you a question. Maple Grove, do you believe that, that God can use anybody, that God can do anything at any time? Do you believe that? Yeah. Yeah. Again, the basic problem with Christians and with the church is an unworthy concept of God. It's that our God is too small. It's that, you know, we try to put the sovereign king, the creator of the universe, in a box. And here's what I want to do as we wrap this puppy up, and hopefully more than a few people take it home. And, and now usually, you know, I, I usually avoid using the pronoun you and your lot when I stand up here having a conversational Sunday because I, I want you to know that I, I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to me, uh, that each week I'm trying to have a conversation for God with us, you know, that I'm part of it. It's not me telling you how to live, it's God telling us how to live. Uh, but, but I, I want to use the you and your pronoun 
this morning. Uh, Maple Grove, if, if your God's job description reads, make my life more comfortable and convenient, then your God is too small. If your God says things like, well, don't take a risk, play it safe, then your God is too small. If your God's job is to obey you and do what you want when you want him to do it, if your God is a genie in a lamp that exists to grant your wishes, then your God is too small. If your God operates on your timetable, if you keep his calendar, then your God is too small. If your God loves Americans more than he loves Iranians, if your God is always saying come but never saying go, then your God is too small. If your God never wrecks your schedule or messes up your plans, if your God never asks you to do something that's not in the budget, if your God needs a certain president in office in order to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in this nation, then your God is too small. If your God has never filled your eyes with tears because of his mercy and grace, if, if your God has never taken your breath away because of his power, then your God is too small. If your God's dream for you is to make a lot of money, retire, and spend a couple decades traveling and taking it easy, your God is too small. If your God always agrees with you, if he always thinks that your opinions and preferences are the most reasonable, if he always likes what you happen to like, then your God is too small. If your God is always just fine, he's always just fine with you spending only an hour with him each week in church, if he's just fine with you tossing your leftovers and the plate every week, if he's just fine with, with you not reading his word, not serving in his church, not sharing in your faith, if your God is just fine with lukewarm, mediocre, average Christianity, then your God is too small. If your God is not able to help you rise above and overcome that habit, that hurt, and that hang up, then your God is too small. If your God looks at your sin of greed, of lust, of gossip, of bitterness, of pride, and says, well, it's no big deal, you're doing better than most people, then your God is too small. If your God says your, your marriage is too messed up and, and your family is too fractured, if your God says you're too young, you're too old, you're too broken, you're too poor, you're too late, you're too guilty, you're too messed up, then your God is too small. Bottom line, if, if our God fits nicely into a box, then he's, he's not God. And one day we're going to open it up and find he was never in there to begin with. Because the God of the universe, he doesn't do boxes. He doesn't do boxes. And, and today, April the 7th, 2013, I, I mean, it, it, would be, it would be a great time for us to say, the throw air boxes. It would be a great time for us to pursue David's God, uh, to pursue the, the boxless king, a, a God who can use anybody, a, a God who can do anything at any time. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, God, we just humbly come into your presence and 
And God, sometimes when we look at our life and we look at the situations of life and we look at the things coming against us, uh, we, we feel like Saul and the Israelite army, God, we're overwhelmed and we're, we're shaking with fear. It just seems too big for us. The odds seem against us. And God, I just pray today that, that you would give us a, a glimpse of your glory, that you would help us see who you are, that you would help us take our eyes off our challenges in these situations and, and realize how big and mighty you are, that, that you really can do anything. God, God will you help us? Help us get our eyes on the God of David, uh, the God who uses anybody, no matter what they've done, where they are, how messed up they think they are, and a God that can do anything at any time. And, and, and God, I, I, I pray for those in, in, in this room, Lord, who are waiting and, and waiting, and it seems like you should have showed up maybe like two years ago, and, and God, would you give them a glimpse right now, God, that you're not done yet? That, that even if it hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean it won't happen. Uh, that, that you're a God who is always on time and maybe it's not the way that we want. But God, I just pray that you'll help us at Maple Grove, that, that we would blow up all these boxes and we would allow you to be who you are, allow you to be everything that you are. God, forgive us for, forgive me. We're trying to cram you into a box. Today, I throw that box away. For real. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing. Here today, you need some prayer. Our elders will be off to the side to pray with you. You want to talk about how you and God can make things right in your life. We can talk about that too. But this is a time for us to declare who God is. This God who doesn't fit in the box. Amen.